Uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning, if you would. We're going to begin in Psalm 73. I want to talk to you today about holding on to your peace, staying sane in a world that, in my opinion, is going insane, uh, going crazy. I, I want to talk to you about that because, believe it or not, the Bible gives us direction and it gives us instruction. There's something about the Word of God that I want to say at the very outset of this message today. Circumstances and situations will always be changing. Every week as you, you watch the news, there are going to be different things, different crises. Every week it will be something different. That's going to, it always has happened. It always will happen. The world is in a constant state of change. But God's Word, God's character, God's principle, and God's command to His people never changes. So when we talk about what we can do to keep our peace then it will work no matter what the crisis that's taking place. Those things change, but God's principles and God's word, they do not change. So in Psalm 73 and verse 15, the psalmist begins, and this is one of the psalms of Asaph, begins by saying, If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Now, what is he talking about? If you read the entire psalm, which we won't do today, he had been complaining. He had been stressed out and upset and angry because he was looking at the world around him. In particular, he was looking at the rich and the powerful and the wealthy that he thought were greedy. And he thought, it seems like they have everything they want. It seems like their life is perfect. It seems like they never struggle and they never have problems. It seems like everything goes their way. They can be living in all kinds of idolatry and all kinds of wickedness and they can be doing all kinds of wrong, but it seems like everything is perfect for them and it doesn't seem fair. And he was disappointed and he was disillusioned. He was angry with God. He was angry with the people around him. And yet he says, if I had gone into the house of God or spoken these things among the people, then I would have done a disservice to the generations of your children. Verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. He said, man, things are so messed up in the world that if I think about it too long, it literally becomes painful for me. It becomes so difficult and I get so stressed out and I get so disgusted and I get so upset that I lose my peace and I lose my hope and I forget whose I am and I forget who I am and I forget why I'm here. So I did all of that to say this. As much as times have changed, they really haven't changed that much. How many of you ever feel that way? The crisis, the problem of the moment, it changes. But the world as a whole it doesn't change, and the good news is our God doesn't change either. So the psalmist is talking about how painful this is and how upset he is, and verse 17 is the key turning point. Until I was upset, I was disappointed, I was disgusted, I was disillusioned, I was angry, I was stressed out, until I went into the sanctuary of God, the dwelling place of God, until I went to the place where the presence of God could be felt. And then I understood their end. Whose end? The end of everyone who disobeys God. The end of everyone who walks with kind of flippantly without any regard for God's word or God's ways or God's justice. I understood their end. 
Surely, God, you've set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream, when, you, when one awakens, so, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. Now, he's no longer grieved because of what he sees around him. Because all of a sudden, the psalmist had some understanding. He said, all these things that I see around me, all the injustice, all the difficulty, all of the discouragement, all of the greed, all of the wickedness, all of the idolatry, all of the things I see around me, when I went into your presence, I finally got some understanding. I understood that all of that's temporary. All of that is temporary. As much as it seems like it goes on and on forever, it isn't. It actually is just for a moment. And then his heart became grieved. Not because of what he saw, but because of his previous reaction to what he had seen. Because of the attitude that he had been carrying as a child of God in the midst of all he saw. He said, I was so foolish. Do you know what the definition of a fool is? The Bible says that a fool has said in his heart or lives his life as if there is no God. So the biblical definition of foolishness is living your life, making your plans, and going about your business as if God is not in control. Living your lives, making your plans, reacting to life as if God is not engaged, as if God has no part in what's going on, as if God is not able. Forgetting how big your God is. Forgetting his plan, forgetting how glorious he is, is to live a foolish life. So he's grieved because he said, I was foolish and I was ignorant. There were a lot of things I just didn't understand. There were a lot of things I just didn't have a, a, a great uh, uh, understanding of. He said, I was actually like a beast before you. That's why the psalmist was grieved. So I was running around aimlessly. I, I was just letting all my anger and all my furiousness out. I, I, I was just living like a pure beast before you. But nevertheless, I am continually with you. God, you hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me into glory. All of a sudden, here's a key for us. Here's how we keep our peace. Here's how we stay sane. In a world that's going crazy. First of all, we need to be in the presence of God. We need to live in the presence of God. We need to keep our eyes focused on God. Because nothing in this world changes who God is. Nothing in this world changes what God said. Nothing in this world changes what God's call on my life is. When I begin to live my life that way, and you live their, your life that way, and we stay in the sanctuary, we stay in the presence of God, then we'll begin to have understanding that God is always with us. When you're depressed, God's right there. When you're afraid, God's right there. When you feel all alone, God's right there. When you're under attack, God's right there. When you're angry and disgusted by what you see going on in the world, God's right there. And we need to live our life with an awareness that nothing around us changes the rule, the power, and the word of our God. And stay in His presence. He said, Lord, nevertheless, no matter what I've seen, you're always with me and you hold me. That's why I love that song so much that we sang at the end. You don't have to come. You don't have to, but you always do. You show up in splendor, 
and your presence changes everything. You know, God didn't have to give me mercy. He didn't have to give you grace. He didn't have to forgive our sins. He didn't have to send His only begotten Son to die for us. He didn't have to take our place on the cross. He didn't have to lead you and guide you by His Spirit. You know, the Bible says you can't even come to Christ unless His Spirit guides you there. So He didn't have to cause His Spirit to reach out to you. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appoint you. So He didn't have to choose you. And He doesn't have to continually come and show up when we worship Him. And He doesn't have to answer a single prayer. He doesn't have to do any of that, but He does it again and again and again and again and again. And he does it because he loves us. He does it because he cares about what's going on in our life. And when the psalmist began to get in his presence, he began to get perspective. And I want to give you a warning. And I want to give you a challenge at the same time. Until you get in his presence, you will never have perspective. Until you get in his presence, you will always have a level of ignorance and and foolishness about everything that's going on. Now, I didn't call you foolish and ignorant. I'm saying the psalmist said... I was foolish and ignorant. Why? Because I was living my life and reacting to my circumstances as if God had somehow changed. As if somehow at some place he had slipped off his throne, stood up and started pacing the floor and wringing his hands. As if God somehow had lost control. As if God somehow had changed his mind. As if all of a sudden the promises in his word didn't work anymore. As if all of a sudden he wasn't listening to my prayers anymore. As if all of a sudden he had changed his mind about the world and changed his mind about me and changed his mind about the church. That is the definition, biblically, of living a foolish life. And the psalmist said as long as he was focused on the wicked, that's what he was. He was foolish. As long as he was focused on the wickedness around him, he was ignorant. That means he did not know everything that he thought he knew. It amazes me to read the internet. I don't know if that's the proper term, read the internet. That shows my age. But that's what I do. I read the internet. It amazes me to read the internet and watch television and listen to the people that spout off about all the meanings behind all of the things that are happening. Now, I'm old enough that I ask a very important question. A very important question I wish everybody would ask. Who are you? And what expertise do you have in this matter? Because many of the people who are trying to tell us everything about life, on both sides of the aisle, by the way, conservative and liberal, are just talking heads. They're good entertainers. They're able to speak before a camera. But they are not the ones who have a good read on what happens. But we swallow so much of what is said as if it is a gospel truth given by somebody who actually knows. I don't care what you think about the whole national anthem thing, and I'm not here to talk about that. But the day I begin to allow a professional athlete in any sport, doing anything at any time to give any direction to my life in any way, is the day when I will forfeit my wisdom card because all they are are athletes. Some of them may have some wisdom about some things, but many of them are not. And I'm not going to get my advice from somebody who can play football, basketball. I love to watch them play, but I'm not going to get my direction, for, and I'm not going to get it from a celebrity just because they can act in a movie or because they can act on a TV show. I will watch what they do and be entertained by their craft, but I'm not going to get wisdom from them. But when a prophet or a statesman or a pastor or somebody somewhere who's had some experience in something that's going on will stand up and say, from my life and from my experience, and then I check them out and find out they actually have some in what they're talking about, then I better listen. I don't care if they agree with my side or not. 
then I better listen to what's going on. But then after I've listened to them, then I better go to the sanctuary. Because even if they're right, and even if I'm alarmed, I can do no good until I get into the presence of God. You know why? Because the Bible says man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God. We can be as angry, and we should be angry sometimes, about what we see in the world. Matter of fact, it would be unjust for us as Christians to say we love God and say we love people and not sometimes be angered by what we see, some of the atrocities that we see in the world. But then there comes a time where we have to go back to the Bible. And the Bible says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That means no matter how just your anger, there comes a point where when we go to bed at the end of every 24-hour day, God said, stop being angry. Well, I don't know how you do that because you don't understand. I got stuff in my own life I'm angry about, and I got a right to be angry. I didn't say that. God didn't say that. But he said, when the sun goes down, put the anger aside. Do you know the only way you can do that? Is to trust that there's a God who's still on the throne while you're asleep. And to trust that there's a God who's bigger than you are, smarter than you are, more gracious than you are, in every way at work where you can't be, so that I can let the anger go and trust that God is still at work. Psalmist learned that. And he said, look, I now realize that you never leave me. You're always there. And I realize that you're holding my hand right now. And that's more important than anything else around me. And he says, I understand that you will guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you'll receive me into glory. Otherwise, as long as I live, as long as I'm breathing, I've got somebody that I can ask wisdom from. I've got somebody who's never going to let me go. I've got somebody who's going to walk with me and talk with me every step of my life. I've got somebody who's always going to be there to anoint me and to equip me and to use me. If you've called me to be engaged and get involved in this or in that, then God's going to be with me. I'm not doing it on my own. So I don't have to get all stressed out about it. I don't have to get all angry. I don't have to get all messed up. I can just do what God called me to do because you will continually hold me. Your right hand is always there. I never have to be afraid. And then when this life is over, I don't have to be afraid then either because then you're going to receive me into glory. So for all time, both now and in all of my eternity, you are God. And when I get into your presence, I start to realize that. And when we get into the presence of God, it's amazing. Anxiety starts to go away. Fear starts to go away. Anger starts to go away. Unforgiveness starts to go away. Bitterness starts to go away. Resentment starts to go away. Those things do not survive in the presence of God. That's why we need to stay in the presence of God. If you say, well, I want to change the world. So do I. But you can't do it with your anger. The Bible said you can't. So either we believe that or we don't. But the Bible says that man's anger doesn't produce the work of God. It won't get it done. But God will get his work done if we'll let the anger go. And the only way we can let the anger go is to trust that God is at work. And let me tell you something. God is at work. You got a prayer that you're praying that you haven't seen answered yet? God's at work, but I don't see it. That doesn't mean he's not at work. You got disappointment, frustration, discouragement in your life? Do you battle depression all the time? God's at work. Well, I can't feel it. God's still at work. Are you wrapped up in 
caught up in unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and resentment because of things that have been done or said to you or things that have been left undone and unsaid that should have been done and said, God's at work, but I don't feel it. That doesn't mean God's not at work. God's at work. And when we know that and when we get into his presence, we will, we can do something Jesus told us to do. We can rest. You know, it's an amazing thing. You don't hear this much in church. But Jesus actually said, I want you to come and rest, not come and work. Now, it doesn't mean we never do anything. It just means that we never do anything except under the direction of the Holy Spirit while he's doing it with us and for us and through us. Other than that, we rest. And that's purely what Jesus said. He said, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden under the load, burdened down, weighed down, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's what Jesus said, and that's what the psalmist has learned. He says in verse 25, "Whom whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. God, you're all of God. Good news is, he's all you need. You're all, whom have I in heaven but you? Who else am I going to turn to? Has anybody figured out yet the government's not going to get it done? Well, not this one. Well, the other one didn't either. Well, that was my favorite. Well, the one before that didn't either. Well, that was my favorite. Well, the one before that didn't either. You can just keep going back farther and farther and farther, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. Government's not going to get it done. They can help in some ways if they're doing it right, and they can hinder in many ways if they're doing it wrong, but they cannot get it done. Have you figured out that you can't get it done either? (laughs) You tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried, and you're still trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying. You struggle and you strive and you get mad at yourself and you beat yourself up and you, and you, and you, oh, I'll make a new resolution every year. I'll do this. Every day I'll do this. God, I'm sorry I didn't get that done, so I'll do it better and I'll do this and I'll do that. And you're still not getting it done. That's because the one that you've got that gets it done is God. And the good news is, all of us have access to Him. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says to come boldly to the throne of grace, knowing, not hoping, but knowing that we'll find mercy and grace to help us there in the time of need. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. Listen to that phrase. None upon the earth that I desire. What do you want? I don't want you just to flippantly say that. I want you to think for a minute. What do you really want? What do you want? What do you want in life? What do you want? The psalmist came to a place of peace, even though he was in a world that was messed up. But he came to a place of peace because he came into the presence of God. And when he got into the presence of God, he said this, You're the only one I have in heaven, and there is no one on the earth I desire besides you. When you get to the point that all you really want is God, everything can start to change from there. But as long as you want something else more, you'll run that highway until you come to the end of it and figure out that that something else won't provide the fulfillment or the joy or the purpose or the peace, even if it's a good thing. It doesn't have, nobody and no thing in this world has the capacity 
to provide what only God can. So the psalmist came to a place where he said, God, you're the only one I have, and you're the only one I want. I desire no one or nothing else on earth besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalmist got an understanding. Where did he get it? In the presence of God, in the sanctuary. That's where understanding comes, in the Word of God. In a, in a time of worship, in a time of intercession, in a time of prayer, in the presence of God, understanding comes. And when he got understanding, he understood something about himself. Not only did he understand something about God, he understood something about himself. He said, my heart and my flesh will fail me. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fail. I'm going to get this thing wrong. My heart and my flesh will fail me. But God, <laughs> I may fail. I may frustrate myself. I may frustrate everybody around me, but God, you're the strength of my heart. When I grow weak, you are strong. You're the strength of my heart, and you are my portion forever. There's a lot of things in life I want. Man, I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to get to a point someday where every winter I could have a guest speaker in for four months. About December the 27th until about April the 16th. And I could go to Florida, my wife and I, and miss all the snow, the cold weather, the ice. That's a dream. Boy, I'd love to have that someday. Maybe a semi-retirement, something like that. Just in the winter, I'd love that. But you know what? That wouldn't give me peace. It'd make me a lot more comfortable in those months. But it wouldn't give me peace. But the God that I serve, He can give me supernatural peace in the middle of an ice storm if He has to. Do you know how I know that? Because He's done it before. I would love to have a lot of things happen, and I, I would love to, man, I'd love to every time we come into this church see every chair filled and have to send somebody out to get metal chairs upstairs, those uncomfortable metal ones, and see us stacked to the walls, and maybe even have somebody stand and have to figure out if we want to do two services to get everybody in. And then I'd like everybody in the church to be on their feet, and when praise and worship comes, it just the first note hits. And it's just like, man, there's electricity in the air, and everybody's just ready for worship. And, man, people are on their face and on their, on their knees, and somebody's dancing, and somebody's shouting. Oh, I'd love to see that. But I don't see that all the time. But you know what I found out in the times that I don't see that? Which is basically every Sunday. You, you know what I found out? Is God's here anyway. And I found out that if I'll just step into His presence and hang in there for a while, that I'll feel His anointing and His peace and His power and His joy and His wisdom. And people who are really hungry for God will receive from Him things that they needed before they ever walked into the room. And God will speak into their heart many times, even before we get up to preach. God will have already said things to them that they desperately needed to know. You know why? Because that's how good God is. See, He's our portion. And when we begin to understand that our strength and our sustenance and all the things that we desire are found in Him, then we can stop 
stop stressing out because we don't have all those things and instead we can just run after God and trust Him to give us the things that we need, not the things that we greed, but the things that we need and then we can live a life of peace and just do what God's calling us to do and we can see the power of God at work in our generation. But as long as, listen, as long as there's one more thing that we got to have before we have peace, we'll all, even if God showed up in the room, we'd miss it. Because you see, we're looking for that one more thing. We're not looking for God. We're looking for that one more situation to clear itself up, and then we can be everything God calls me. We're looking for everybody to get this, be this way, or say this thing, or do, and then, then I can celebrate, then I can worship, then I can do. As long as you're waiting for that one more thing, you're not realizing that it's God who is your portion, not anybody or anything else. And then the psalmist closes out this particular psalm. He says, For indeed, those who are far from you, they will perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. One day, one day, God's going to settle all the accounts. Guarantee it. And it's only mercy that he's not doing it all right now. We should be thankful that God's not settling the accounts right now. But one day, every account's going to be settled. Every wrong's going to be made right one day. Until then... Verse 28, but it is good for me. Now, now remember where the psalmist started. He started out by stressing out over all of the things he saw that weren't right. He was angry. He was undone. He was bitter. He was anxious. He was all messed up until he got into the presence of God. And when he got into the presence of God, God brought peace. And he began to see things from a different perspective, not his perspective, Not the perspective of all the voices around him, but God's perspective. And when he began to see things from God's perspective, he began to get his peace back. And he began to recognize that, God, you really are all I need, and you really are all I want, and you are really in control, and everything is really okay. I just need to find what you want me to do because I'm going to fail, so I really need you working in my life because my strength isn't good enough, so I need your strength. And then he says, listen, one day you're going to settle all the accounts. One day you're going to make everything right. But for me, today, right now, it is good for me to draw close to my God. You know what the best thing every Christian in America to do right now for our country? Pray. Boy, it sounds so simple. You know the best thing every Christian in this country country could do for our nation right now and what we're going through? Get into the presence of God. But I want to do something. That's a good desire. And God may call you to do something. And if He does, when in His presence He calls you to do something then He'll give you an idea and an anointing for doing it. And you can go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit under the anointing of the Holy Spirit with wisdom from God and do something that makes a difference. But if we just get up and go out and do something because it's something I want to do, but we haven't first spent time in the presence of God to get His heart, His mind, His desire, His purpose, His plan, and His power, our strength will fail us. It will not work. So for me, for you, the best thing I can do is draw near to God because I have put my trust in the Lord God so that I may declare all your words.
Whatever goes on around me, whatever the crisis of the moment, the crisis of the season, the crisis of the day, I'm just going to draw close to God. There's a lot of people that will criticize that. There's a lot of preachers that will criticize that. I get it. It's okay. But I've lived for a little while now. I'm not old by any chance. I'm still somewhere in the middle. But I have lived a little while now. I've faced more than one crisis. Many of you have lived longer than me, and you've faced many more than I have. I've seen many people say many times, the world's falling apart, our nation's falling apart, the world's not going to survive this, the nation's not going to survive this. I've heard that about many things, and I've heard that many times. But the one thing that I've found to always prove true is that when God's people who are called by His name, start getting serious about seeking His face, things start to change. And you know, I actually believe that's happening. I actually believe that the people of God are starting to be shaken out of their apathy. I believe that the people of God are starting to be woken up from their sleep. And when we allow God to do that, not only will He give us peace in the midst of the storm, but He'll give us wisdom and anointing for how to engage the moment and how to be involved and what's going on in our world today. One more place I want you to go before we close. Let's go to the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to look at the words of Jesus as it relates to this. Verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. You can either put your hope in the things of this world, or you can put your hope and your trust in God. But make no mistake, wherever you put your hope and your desire, that's where your heart is at. And Jesus says, make sure that you put your treasure somewhere where it's safe. Make sure that all of your hope and all of your attention and all of your dreams and all of your vision and all of your desire and everything of value in your life rest in the one place where it's safe. Paul said it this way, I know whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Otherwise, everything that I've got that God's given me, I give back to God. It's firmly in his hands, and nothing can touch it as long as it's in his hands. But everything that I've got, even if God gave it to me, if I try to hold it, up with my hands, if I try to keep it safe with my hands, if I try to protect it with my own power, my own wisdom, and my own might, if I try to accomplish things in my own ability, then it can be taken away. It can be destroyed. So make sure that you have your heart in the right place. He goes on to say, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good or pure, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, wicked, or evil, then your whole body will be full of darkness. And if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's talking about your core, your focus. Where is your spirit? Where do you have it aimed? Where do you have it directed? Is it really directed at God, or is that just something we do on Sunday morning? Is it really focused on Him alone, or is that just something that happens in our life when we go through a crisis? Where are you focused? He said if your focus is right, if it's pure, if it's whole, then your whole body, your whole life is going to be filled with life and light. But if that core place, if that central place in your heart is wicked or evil or dark, then your whole life is going to be filled with darkness, and how great is that darkness? And he gets to the root of it in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, 
You will be loyal to the one and despise the other. But you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon was a word for wealth, materialism, or self-fulfillment. Money. You can't serve both. You can't serve the God of self-fulfillment. You can't serve the God of money. You can't serve the God of materialism and wealth. You can't serve the God of self. You have to choose who you're going to serve. Joshua said that. He said, choose ye this day whom you will serve. The gods that your father served on the other side of the river are the one true God. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There are points where you have to make a choice in your life about where your heart's going to be directed, about where your focus is going to be, and about who you're really going to serve. Finally, he says this, Therefore I say to you, because you can't serve two masters, you've got to choose one. Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life. Did you know that's a command? He didn't say, hey guys, I wish you'd think about not worrying. Hey guys, just, just a suggestion, but I wouldn't worry if I were you. Now that's the way I might have said it, but that's not the way Jesus said it. He said you can't serve two masters, guys. You've got to decide where your focus and your attention is going to be. And listen, don't worry. That's a command. Just don't do it. Don't worry about your life. So what are you worried about today? Does it have anything to do with this life? Then Jesus said, stop. You see how amazing that is? Because, see, here's the thing. I feel good about worrying. I do. It makes me feel good. I never thought about it that way. I don't feel good when I worry. Yeah, you do, or you'd quit. Well, see, we don't keep doing things that we hate. When something, when, when something ain't working right in my life, I try to find a solution as quickly as I possibly can. But you see, worry makes me feel like I care, see. I, I can say I'm engaged. I'm, I'm, I'm a part. But he said, don't worry. If it's got anything to do with your life, stop worrying about it. Don't worry about your life. Specifically, he says, don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink. Don't worry about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, guys, there's way more important things than what you're worried about. Don't worry about these material things. There are things more important than that. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? I love the way he says that. I'd say it this way today. You worrying a lot? How's that working for you? Has that ever changed anything? I laid awake, tossed and turned, worried all night. Did you wake up and everything better? I say that with a smile because I do that too. Many nights I lay awake, worry and toss and turn and stress and fret. But can I tell you something? I've never woke up to see all the problems solved. But I can tell you this. There have been many times when I've decided I'm so tired of worrying and stressing and fretting over things that's driving me nuts, and I'll get into the presence of God and start speaking God's Word over those very same things that I was worrying about all night, and I'll start spending time thanking God that He's active and engaged and at work in those situations, and then praising God for the answer to those situations, and many times then I have seen change in those situations, but I've never seen change one time from worrying about it. That's why He said, don't worry. Because worry will tear you down, but it won't build anybody else up. 
So he says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about the needs. Look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly Father takes care of them. You can't change anything by worry. Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not decked out like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not, and I love this phrase, much more clothe you Oh, ye of little faith. He didn't say you had no faith. He just said your faith is small. But he said, if you look at the flowers and how they're decked out, don't you think God cares more about you than the flowers in the field? And you look at the birds and how they don't worry and they don't stress, and yet they're taken care of. And it's, he says the Heavenly Father is the one who actually does that. He says, don't you realize you're of much more value to God than they are? So stop worrying. God doesn't just come out in, in, a, in kind of a vacuum and say, just don't worry. Life may be terrible. I'm not involved, but just don't worry. That's not what he said. He said, don't worry. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. I take care of them. I want you to understand, you mean more to me than all of them put together. Do you really think that as your heavenly Father, I don't know what's going on? Do you really think that as your heavenly Father, I don't care about the things that you really do need? Now, I want you to notice something. Everything he said here are real needs. You really do need clothes to wear. You really do need food to eat. You really do need water to drink. We really do need a roof over our heads. There are true needs. And God says, if you will follow me, I'll take care of those things. He did not say, I'll make sure that you have a big screen TV, one in every room, with the ultimate uh, vacation home, an RV, and, and everything else that you can imagine to go along with it. Because those are not needs. They're nice things. And there's nothing wrong with them, but they're not necessities. God doesn't promise you those things, but he does promise you that he'll meet your needs if you'll follow him. Now we get to the crux of the matter here. Verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying... What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Now at that time, the Gentiles were people without a covenant with God, without a relationship with God. He said, they're tore up about all these things. They stress out over all these things. They're anxious about all these things, and they should be. They don't have a relationship with the Heavenly Father at this time. But your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. I love that. God's not holding out. He says, I'm not going to just give you food and not give you clothing. I'm not going to give you, give, give you part of what you need. and not all. I'll t I know you need all of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things shall be added unto you. How do you keep peace in a troubled world? How do you stay sane in a world that's going crazy? Well, for one thing, you've got to get into the presence of God. Get your focus on God and not on all the things that are going on. Let Him drop into your hearts the things that He wants you to be engaged in and then do it in His power. Make sure that you understand that God's always on your side. He always holds your hand and He's going to continually guide you if you'll trust Him. Make sure that you understand that there's going to be a day when God's going to right all the wrongs. But until then, just trust in God. It's good for you to seek God. And then secondly, make sure that the core of your heart the focus of your life is on Jesus alone. You can't serve two masters. At some point, we've got to make up our mind who's king. At some point, we've got to make up our mind who's on the throne in our life. Is it some other person, some other thing? Is it us or is it Jesus? We've got to make up our mind. And once we do that, stop worrying because God knows what you need. 
And he, I love this part. Oh, if we get this, it would change everything. He is our Father. He could have used any term he wanted. He said, I'm your Father. I care about what's going on in your life. I know what you need. If you will seek me at the center, that word first means center. If you'll seek me at the core, if you'll seek me and make me the focus of your life, everything you need, I'm going to make sure you have. Maybe not everything you want, but everything you need, I'm going to make sure that you have. So you don't have to worry. You don't have to stress out. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to live angry. You can walk in my peace. It's an amazing thing to me as we close tonight. If you think about the New Testament church, they lived in a world that was under the rule of Rome. They were persecuted. The New Testament Christians that we read about, they were persecuted both by the Roman Empire and by the Jews of their day who were upset because they were walking away from the law of Moses. They weren't welcome in their own families. They were blackballed in their own communities. Not only that, they were killed, beaten, tortured and put in prison by Rome. And their response was to stay focused on the presence of God, stay focused on the calling of God, and never lose sight of what they were in the earth to do. They understood that this kingdom... Listen, by the way, I thank God for America. I'm glad I'm a citizen of this country. Wouldn't want to be a citizen anywhere else. We've got our faults and our problems, but I guarantee you, you go try to live anywhere else very long you'll realize this is still the best thing going on this planet, and it's only because, I believe, of God's people who are still active and engaged in this planet. However, my citizenship is in heaven above. Yes, I'm a citizen, but my citizenship is in heaven above. I belong there. The kingdom that I owe my ultimate allegiance to is the kingdom of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand this. This kingdom could fall. America could fall, every planet on the globe, every, every country on this globe could fall, but the kingdom of God will never fall. And that's where we stand, and we cannot lose sight of that. That's why the New Testament church could be willing to die and still reach out and love the people who were killing them. I don't know if you've read stories about the Christians in Muslim countries today that are loving their persecutors, that are being beaten and whipped, and tortured, and then reaching out in love. Just read a story the other day about someone who had become recruited by ISIS. He wasn't really crazy about ISIS, but it was what everybody in his community was doing. A good Muslim was a part of ISIS, and they were crucifying Christians in their village. And he was walking by the village, and he saw people who had been his neighbors just a few weeks before ISIS took over on a cross. And they weren't dead yet. They were dying. And he says he walked by the, the crosses. There's about four men there. As he walked by, he looked up and they smiled down at him. And they were singing praise songs to God, hanging on the cross, blood, each of them on a cross, blood flowing down from them, looking down at a member of the group of people who put them up there, singing praise songs, smiling at them, and talking about Jesus. And that he didn't get you all. Well, he, he got saved right then. No, he didn't. But that image stuck with him for days and weeks and months until he eventually fled the city he lived 
fled ISIS who would have wound up killing him and eventually gave his heart to Christ. And now he's coming back into those very villages risking his life to lead other members of ISIS to Christ. And do you know why? Because of four Christians while they were dying, hanging on crosses, looking down at him with blood flowing, singing songs of praise to God and loving the group that put him there. That changes the world. And that's why we need to understand. And New Testament church understood that because they did the same things. And they changed the world. Everywhere they went, they said, here are the ones who are turning the world upside down. When we get our focus on God and off of people and off of things, when we spend time in His presence, when we keep our hearts centered on His Lordship, and when we refuse to get caught up in anxiety, stress, bitterness, unforgiveness, and anger, but instead seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. God says everything you need to be what I've called you to be and do what I've called you to do in this earth. I'll make sure you've got it because you've got a Father in heaven and I know what's going on. Trust me. That's God's call to us. That's how we can keep peace in a messed up world. That's how we can stay sane when the world goes crazy. God did not call you to fret. God did not call you to lay awake all night, tossing and turning and worrying. God did not call you to stay angry all the time. God did not call you to be racked up with bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment. He didn't call you to be disappointed, depressed, and disillusioned. He called you to walk in His peace. The world may change, but that command never does. And if we'll believe God and trust Him, we cannot only be changed, but God can use us to change this messed up world. And ultimately, isn't that what you want? I want you to bow your heads with me today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for time in your presence. We thank you that, Lord, you didn't have to come today, but you, you did. You're here. You've been with us all morning. Father God, I thank you that you've already touched hearts and ministered to people in the midst of worship, in the midst of praise. Father God, I thank you that you've sent this word, not because I've preached it, but Lord, because you sent it. Father, you know everyone in this room. You know what their troubles are. You know what their fears are. You know what their disappointments are. You know where they're angry. Father, you know the things that have been done and said to them. And you care about all of those things. Lord, you know the things that keep your people up at night. And you care about those things. Lord, by worrying... We can't add one cubit to our stature. By being anxious and stressed out and angry, we won't change anything. But if we'll go into the sanctuary every day, it's not a building made with brick and wood. It's our bodies, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. You're right here with us. Every second, every moment. You never leave us, Jesus. You never forsake us. You said you're with us always, even to the very end of the age. No matter what age it is. No matter what's happening in the world, you're right here. That never changes. And you told us, don't worry about anything pertaining to your life. Don't worry. That literally means take no thought. Don't take the thoughts that the enemy tries to give us. Lord, help us to understand That we've got an enemy who's always trying to stress us out. Always trying to make us angry. Always trying to cause bitterness and unforgiveness and disappointment. Help us not to take those thoughts. Instead, help us to run to your presence. Instead, help us to lean on your word. And let your word guide our actions. 
Let your word guide our reactions, our responses to what we see and hear. Let your word guide our thoughts and our mind, our actions and our dreams. Because your word never changes. It's been here all our lives and it will be here long after we're gone. Your word stands forever. Lord, you've called the church of Jesus Christ, the body of believers, to be the place where heaven meets earth. You called us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven there's no anxiety. In heaven there's no stress. In heaven there's no worry. In heaven there's no anger or or distrust. In heaven there's no unforgiveness or bitterness. There's no hostility there. So God, you've called us to be agents of heaven on earth. But God, we can only do that, Lord, when we're in your presence and getting our directions from you, not man. So God, we pray that wherever there's stress, wherever there's anxiety, wherever there's fear, wherever there's disappointment, wherever there's anger, God, I pray that you would go to the root of that and bring healing, bring relief, bring hope, and bring peace even this day in the name of Jesus. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed today, I want to ask first of all if there's anybody in this room that you just know things aren't right between you and God right now. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus at all. Or maybe you have and you just know things aren't right right now. If that's you, you don't have to go one more moment like that. That can change this second. All you have to do is ask Jesus to take control of your life, your thoughts, your heart right where you are. If there's anybody that needs to do that and wants to do that right now, I'd love nothing more than to lead you there. Would you just lift your hand, anybody in this room, You either need to give Jesus your life for the first time or you need to make things right with God. You're tired of trying to direct your own path. You're tired of trying to take things into your own hands. You're tired of it. There's nothing but stress and anxiety and you're ready to let that go and let God have that. If that's you and you know God's speaking to you, that can change. Would you lift your hand anywhere in this room? Is there anybody like that? Okay. Anybody else? You know God's speaking to you right now. You don't want to hold on to this one more moment, one more day. You don't have to. You can be free. Anybody else, you know God's speaking to you. Just lift your hand right where you are. Okay, secondly, you're a child of God and you know it. You love Him. You try to live a godly life. And I want to tell you something. He loves you. But right now, you are so stressed out. You are so anxious. You're so discouraged. Or maybe you're just angry. I mean, anger defines your life right now. Hadn't always been that way, but it is now. It's like anger defines your life. And you might even have a righteous cause for your anger. But the problem is you're never letting it go. You're living it, breathing it, sleeping it 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And God did not call you to do that. As a matter of fact, He told you to do something different than that. That anger is not going to change things. That anger is not going to, it'll only mess you up. But if that's you, you've been disappointed, disillusioned, hopeless, angry all the time, or just stressed out and anxious all the time because you've been trying to fix all the problems. You've been trying to change the world. You've been doing it, but you haven't been going to the sanctuary and getting God's direction and God's peace. I believe God sent this word especially for you today because God doesn't want it to continue that way. You don't have to live that way. He wants to change that, but you got to let Him have the stuff. You gotta let them have your anxiety. You gotta let them have your pain. You gotta let them have your anger too. Even if you feel like you got a right to it, you gotta let him have it and live your life as if he really does exist and can take care of that problem. If you know God's speaking to you, and I know there's got to be at least one because that's the message God gave me today. 
but there may be more than one. If you know God's speaking to you about those things, would you lift your hand anywhere in this room today? Right? Okay. Okay. Right. Anybody else? You know that's you. You don't have to carry that anymore. If you, can, you can choose to let it go. You can choose to let it go. Anybody else? Just real quick. Lift your hand and put it right back down. All right, let's stand across this room if you would with me. For those of you who lifted your hands on either one of those calls, I want to pray for you. I just ask you to come into agreement with the prayer that I'm praying. If you really mean it, you really believe it, I just want you to come into agreement with that and receive from God His peace. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just pray for everybody who just lifted their hands in response to Your Word. Father God, for those who have just, Lord, they just need to make things right with You this morning. Father, they need to get everything back underneath Your control. They've held on to things and they just felt like they need to get it right, come home right now. Father God, I thank you as they give everything to you, as they repent of that, as they let you have that right now, this moment. I thank you your forgiveness is right there. I thank you your love is right there. I thank you your cleansing is right there. I thank you your hope is right there. Removing that anxiety, removing that doubt, removing that fear. Father God, I just thank you removing that disillusionment and disappointment. I thank you for healing their heart even now in Jesus' name. And Father God, for everybody in this room, that their life has been more defined by anger, more defined by stress and anxiety, disappointment and disillusionment. They've been trying to fix everything. They've been trying to hold on to everything. Lord, I thank you today. Lord, they've come into your sanctuary. Not because they've come into this building, but because they've come into your presence. Father God, I thank you that you've met them where they are, that you've sent a word to them. God, you did that. I'm not smart enough to do that. Nobody else in this room is good enough to organize a service that way. You did that because you know what's going on in their lives. And you care about them. And Father God, as they give that anxiety to you right now, Lord, as they give up that stress, as they give up that fear, that disappointment, as they give up that anger and that hostility and that unforgiveness, as they let you have it all, You are God in heaven. You still rule and you reign. And they're trusting you to take care of business in their life. They're trusting you to do what they can. And as they do that, I thank you peace fills that place in their life. I thank you, God, that joy fills that place, which will give them strength. Father God, I thank you that hope replaces that hopelessness and love replaces that anger. Lord, where you want us to do something, where there's something for us to do, give us wisdom. Show us what to do. Show us how to do it. But God, we don't even want to do that without you. We still need your spirit. We still need you to walk with us. And we thank you for doing all of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you today. Hope you have a great afternoon. No services tonight, family night. Remember, no millennials this week. No midweek service this week, but we'll see you back Sunday morning. Don't forget the sign-up sheets for everything out front. Be blessed and go in the grace of God.